Welcome TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the incredibly effusive Elliot Chibley. Okay. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and we like to bring you some of our own personal travel experiences. Before I get into the episode, effusive, just tell me about it. Just a quick rundown. Effusive, the definition of effusive is expressing feelings of gratitude, pleasure, or approval in an unrestrained or heartfelt manner. I feel as though that you're good at that. I Thank think you. that you, you are very much effusive. That. You're welcome. I was being effusive. Yeah. Our episode today is with Andrew Hortazzo. Andrew has removed over 15,000 pounds of trash from South Florida's mangroves. And today we talked to him about that experience, about that, uh, those actions, his conservation efforts, why he did it, and some of the other things that he's been doing. And then we talked about conservation in general. It was an awesome episode, uh, and we really hope you get something out of it. And our travel tip of the week is book hotels or Airbnbs after your itinerary is finished. Before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us and if you want to, you can you can be a part of our Travel Around Table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers, send us your email with your name, your website, and a few travel-related topics that you enjoy discussing, and we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Andrew, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're glad to have you. So today we're going to ask you a few questions and learn a bit about your conservation efforts down in Florida and the mangroves. And before we get into all of that, uh, can we get some background on you and how you got into conservation and what led you to becoming that kind of activist and posting about it on social media? Sure. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Miami. I spent... A lot of my, I'm, first of all, I have to let you and your listeners know that I'm a recklessly curious person. So <laughs> whenever, and I feel like probably many of your guests and maybe yourselves are fit into this category as well, but like whenever there's a, I don't know, a natural environment, um, I feel like I just need to go out and explore every single inch of it. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up along the coast um, and I spent a lot of time on Key Biscayne, which is an island just offshore Miami. And it's, uh, it has um, some very developed mangrove forests. And I'd go out there and, and starting when I was 13 years old, I'd just like explore these areas. And then as I would get older, I'd go out there seeking like a sense of peace, right? Because it's, it's a beautiful landscape for those who have never been there, who haven't had the chance to experience them. But basically the mangroves are these um, semi-aquatic trees that have these big sweeping roots. It looks like they're walking across the water, at least the red mangroves do. And they, I mean, the the habitat, the the environment that they create is is gorgeous. It's constantly changing. It's a keystone habitat. There are tons of birds and crustaceans. 
all the reef fish that you see offshore, they begin their life cycles within the mangroves as juveniles. So it's, it's absolutely beautiful. So I'd go out there and I'd hike around and, um, you know, just trying to center myself. And whenever I'd leave the mangroves, I'd leave more upset <laughs> than when I went in because they were just absolutely covered in trash. Like every square foot looked like a, uh, <laughs> looked like a landfill uh, with trash going back to the 40s even or even before. And one day, you know, I noticed that nobody was really doing anything about it. So I just decided to go out there and methodically start picking up trash. And I've been doing it now for about four and a half, five years. And I've recovered 15,500 pounds of trash to date. Whoa, it's, just you. No, well, I've, I've also led group cleanups, right? So okay. I've partnered, okay. I partnered with all sorts of different organizations um, and, you know, have led groups out there. But most of that tonnage was me by myself. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I, 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 I can relate to your experience. Uh, I've been on hikes and I've been annoyed, uh, felt sort of depressed for the environment I was in because it was impacted, whether it was trash or spray paint too. I can't right. stand like people yeah. spray painting on rocks and stuff. So yeah. especially um, I think trees are my least favorite to spray paint because uh, you can't it, scrub it off. Like a rock, mm. you can power wash a tree. You can't cause then you mm. damage the tree. And it's, it's just so it it's you end up leaving yeah and more angrier than you were when you went in because you go in with the intention to find peace and to explore and um just sort of get away and then you leave with with this annoyed state due to the impact that these people are having on the place so um but the difference between you and I is that it hasn't led me down this path of cleaning it up to the scale that you have i've picked up bottles i've picked up trash and put it in my backpack when i can fit it um, so I'm curious, like, how did you actually take that next step? Because that's a really, that's a big step because you now dedicated a lot of time and energy into cleaning up the mangroves. Right. Um, well, I, I do plenty of hiking as well in areas that are not coastal ecosystems. So, you know, up North, I've done lots of hiking up in, uh, North Carolina, up in the Pisgah National Forest, the Great Smokies, um, up in Boston, New Hampshire, that whole area as well. And out West as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar as well with the kind of trash that you'll see walking along these paths and, you know, people tagging, like you said, trees and rocks and just, you know, it's, it's really annoying. Um, with the mangroves, it's take that problem and expand it by an order, several orders of magnitude. So it's, it's not like you'll see a bottle here or there, or maybe like, I don't know, some fishing line or something that some hiker dropped along the way. It's every place that you step, there's a piece of trash. Um, wow. and, is that, yeah, is it, that because it collects it? Does it act like a, a filter from the coast where it just kind of grabs trash that's floating in the ocean or is it people actually like hanging out in those places, setting up like little camps and just leaving everything? It's both. It's both. Okay. So, you know, um, hiking in more inland, um, in the subtropical savanna that we have here in subtropical forests. Um, along the sand dunes and the and the rocky ridges, um, you you will come across a lot of camps. I've seen camps, you know, that have been abandoned for you know a decade or more. That people just go in there and and just like guerrilla camp and just leave all their crap. I mean, like literally, there's one guy I've been picking up after for years. I've picked up well over a ton of his trash. Um, but yeah, so along the coastline, he's still doing it. Yeah, he's still out there. He's still out there. Do you uh, know have you who this him? person is? Yeah. I don't know him personally. Um, <laughs> I've seen him. 
um, and I've reported him to the authorities um, and, you know, they're taking care of it right now, supposedly. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I've done what I can. I'm not, a, I'm not law enforcement. I'm not going to go right. out there. And right. also like I'm by myself in the middle of a mangrove swamp. I don't know this guy. I don't know if he's got problems. I don't know if he's armed and I don't want to deal with that. So, right. you know, I want to do my job or the job that I've set for myself, but uh, like you said, yes. So you do have the people that um, just drop their crap all over the place, but also um, land serves as a great filter for ocean trash. And the mangroves, the roots, the these intersecting sweeping roots that you see are like a comb. And, you know, there's so much trash offshore. There's just so many megatons of trash just floating around and on the ocean floor. I've seen it because I've actually picked up about a thousand pounds from the ocean floor free day. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so whenever there's a large storm, well, first of all, with the wave action and with the tide, every time the high tide comes in, it deposits more trash. But also when you get like these big hurricanes or storms coming in from offshore, they just drag this giant mass of water inland. And then when the water recedes, all the trash stays. So you'll get that as well. Wow. I Mangroves are really interesting to me because I know uh, Bob and I both are in the kind of environmental aspect. I'm an engineer, or I should say a landscape architect by trade. And the mangroves have a significant environmental benefit to the coastal system. And it's basically, they dissipate waves before they hit the coastline. Oh, yeah. And they're yeah, kind yeah. of like the um, outer banks. So any kind of barriers barrier that islands. you have, yeah, right. barrier islands, basically break the waves before they hit the shore. So these natural barriers literally and figuratively help protect any other, I'd say natural communities and human populations inland. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. And as an engineer, you'll understand that say like when a wave hits a concrete wall, all that kinetic energy is transferred directly onto the wall. And, and that, you know, concrete will break down over five years uh, when exposed to that kind of wave action. But, you know, if you're paddling along the shore, you'll see waves come in, they hit a wall, and then they bounce off and they create all this turbulence. Um, but if you if you paddle past like a mangrove forest, it just gets soaked in there. It's completely still. It acts like a giant sponge. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And those roots, the roots themselves hold down that soil. So whenever there's a storm, right, when, rather than all that soil, all that sand being washed offshore, it stays there. So if you go, I've done this, like if you go out to a mangrove forest with like a shovel and you try to dig a hole, you can't. It's like these, these tiny little roots are just permeate everywhere. It's like one giant mass. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. I didn't know that. Have you seen direct evidence of negative impact on wildlife or, or anything? Oh, like yeah. That? <clears throat> yes, like absolutely. Absolutely. So I have, uh, I clean up, they're called spoil islands. Um, basically, they're, they're artificial islands that were created offshore in Miami from uh, dredging the ports or creating channels or what have you. Um, but they've been populated by mangroves now for like sometimes 70 years. So, you know, pretty mature oh, wow. groves and they serve as really important rookeries uh, for local birds. And so I, you know, I just yesterday was on the spoiled island cleaning up trash that, you know, I also went back there last year and I picked up, I think, 1,500 pounds of trash. But again, to give you a sense of how fast this accumulates, this island probably has another thousand pounds of trash on it. Um, and so, you know, these birds, um, they, they build their nests on this island and, you know, in the summer it is so loud. It is just like the Manhattan of, of bird islands. Um, and 
all these birds are waiting birds. So their parents will basically root around in the uh, in the sea in the seaweed and just offshore in the seagrass beds, and they'll you know they they basically just filter, look around for anything they could eat. And they mistake very often, they'll mistake the plastic that's found there for actual food and they'll ingest it. And then they'll give it to their, to their, um, to their chicks. And I've seen plenty of birds with like their gullets and their, their stomachs just literally exploded um, with trash. Um, yeah, 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 that, I've seen that. Oh, that's terrible. So like their, their stomach is full, but they're not getting any nutrition. So they keep eating. Exactly. They're still hungry. Yeah. That's- that is that's a, that is depressing and that is and a horrible. horrible way to go. I've seen videos of people uh, who find dead fish and they cut them open and then they cut open the stomach and then they're, oh, it's, it's just plastic. filled with plastic. Yeah, filled with plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I do want to back up because I I've heard the term rookery before, but I don't know if I know what it means. It's just a place where a bunch of birds congregate together to build nests and to to rear their offspring. Yeah, and it's really, really interesting because it's not just one species of bird, but it's all these different species. It's um, on this particular island, there are egrets and pelicans and cormorants and herons and and turkey vultures, and they're all, and crows, and they're all just congregating in the same space at the same time. Mm. But the very interesting thing is that, um, so I paddle out there, you know, just before sunrise to spend as much time as possible, but they leave in different waves. So like you can see all the crows get up and leave at the same time. Then all the turkey vultures will get up and leave at the same time. Then, you know, the cormorants will do it all at the same time. It's very interesting waves. Huh. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so, so is Key Biscayne, uh, I, I'm just following this on Google Maps now. And I've noticed that the Key Biscayne itself, like the town, looks to have some kind of growth limit where there's roads, but the population and housing districts are set to a boundary. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's bounded in the, in the South by Bilbag State Park, which is a state park and you can't expand development there. And then in the North side, it's uh, Crandon Park. Okay. Um, and on the West side, Northwest side, it's West Point Mangrove Preserve. And that's all county land as it's set aside specifically for, uh, for beachgoers and for just a natural preserve. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of wild. It's just like a stark edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I live here. That's that's literally why I live here because um, I love the nature here. I mean, I am a thirteen-minute bike ride away from the mangroves. I do. I can. I've got. I'm a block away from the ocean. I can kayak. I can. I can open ocean swim. I can bike. I can run. I can do everything here. That's that's why I live here. That's wow. really cool. Well. And so um, I want to get into, I, I, so we kind of have an idea of how you formed this interest in saving uh, the mangroves and, and cleaning it up. How did this evolve into sort of an organized event? Right, uh, by accident. Um, yeah. Because uh, I just, I, I don't remember what was happening, but I wasn't feeling great. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a GoPro. So I did. I bought myself a GoPro. And um, when I decided to go start picking up the mangroves, I, uh, I brought the GoPro with me just to record day by day what I would do. And basically for a lark, I put it up on social media. And to my eternal surprise, people actually cared. 
um, people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people would watch these videos and 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 see me pick up trash in a swamp. Um, well, how is that compelling? But yeah, um, they actually started following me and and reaching out to me. And and a lot of my cleanups have been people just reaching out to me on social media. Um, I did one with Frost Museum of Science, another one with Surfrider Foundation, Miami Freedom Project, and all these different schools will reach out to me. And it's, it's literally just somebody saying, hey, can we do a cleanup with you? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's, wow. that's nice to know. That's like sort of, that's really heartwarming to know that there are people that care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's always, yeah. there's always two, uh, two sides of a coin. Yeah. The people that care and the people that don't. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? It, it has been very, um, I don't know, edifying in my, or, or reinforcing my belief in humanity, because when it comes to mangroves, well, just generally in our society, everyone is so very much divided and so very tribal, but when it comes to this type of conservation, it's not at all political. It doesn't matter if you're on the right, the left, the center, anarchists, monarchists, whatever, people get it and people want to help. And so that has been really gratifying. That's something that, uh, yeah, that I've noticed as well. So when it comes down to it and you sort of remove the layers and you just get into what is environmental conservation, it's clean air, clean water, clean soil. Mm-hmm. And everybody agrees that they want that. They want that mm-hmm. for, for themselves, for their children, for the future of this country, for the future of people in general, humanity. Um, so no one really disagrees that we need this stuff. The disagreement, I guess, comes in how we get there. And then understanding how we got here, right? Um, I think that's a bit, that, and that's a big part of it. So something I want to I want to ask you is, you're on the end of you're on the end of it. You're you're cleaning up the mess. Someone also needs to be. I know there are people attacking the root, the source of the problem. How does the trash get there um, to begin with? But it's such a complex problem. And even if you do attack the source and you sort of pull it out by the roots, <coughs> somehow stop plastic pollution entering the ocean, which by itself is, is incredibly, it's going to be incredibly challenging. Um, how, how many years would it take to continue? Like, I wonder how many years, even if the source was shut off, you would still be in the mangroves cleaning up plastic. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. I'd be there for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. Right. Because... It, that's, it, it, the scale of this is hard to fathom. Right. Right. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm very glad you asked that question because what I do, I'm never going to solve ever, 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 ever going to solve marine trash. The problem of rain trash. I am just one person and there's way too much. And so what I'm doing is that I'm not out there. It's not an end to itself. Um, you know, the, the videos that I take and the posts that I do and the visibility that I'm trying to bring to this problem is not the end. Um, it is simply, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, it's kind of like the cotton candy that brings people in, you know, very easily shareable content that gets spread around online on social media. And that gives me the opportunity to educate people about the larger systemic issue, which you just brought up. Um, so it's trying to, to uh, shine, you know, grab people's attention just long enough so I can shine a spotlight on this problem and try to galvanize people to actually try to solve it. And yeah. it is a systems problem. We have a problem in how we consume plastic. Um, so like in the middle of this conversation right now, if I die, um, you know, the amount of plastic that would be saved. I never, ever, ever use plastic again. Um, the amount of plastic that would be saved would be equivalent to half a second of the, of an entire year's worth of plastic that is dumped into the ocean. So it, it's, it's irrelevant. Uh, so people, 
I know a lot of people and I myself try to consume less plastic, but because of the way that we consume everything from our food to our electronics to whatever disposable products that we use, everything and, and then how we how we um, manipulate and and dispose of it afterward, um, that is what's producing this problem. So I'm downstream, like you said, I'm literally all the way downstream. Yeah. Uh, picture plastic as a river, right? Um, you know, I'm in the mangroves, endpoints. <laughs> yep. And if, if you go a little farther up that stream, in the middle of the stream, you have people, you know, consumers, right? That maybe uh, either willfully or by accident throw something in the ocean or one way or another winds up in the ocean. You go a little farther up and you have the, plast- the, the manufacturers that use plastics. So whatever in, in, in uh, whatever their toys or in the wrapping used or whatever, um, you know, they're manipulating the plastic and they're, and they're using it to uh, ship products out to consumers. And then farthest upstream, you have the plastic manufacturers, the people that take the fossil fuels and use it to actually produce plastic. This entire system is what's at fault here. I mean, there's very little you can do as an individual. And what I want to do is produce a grassroots pressure from the bottom up um, and, produ- and essentially pressure elected el- officials to, uh, to really start addressing this problem, to make mm-hmm. it an electoral issue where if they don't address it, well, then they get out of office. Yeah, well, the source where you're operating is what's going to have the biggest impact on, on the, the general public. I don't think you can sit at the plant, the manufacturing facility, and have the same impact on the public of what this this manufacturing facility is ultimately doing versus what you'd see with, you know, sea turtles, for example, or, you know, whatever wildlife and birds and, and are actually being impacted. Um, yeah, man, it, it's, it's a tough one. It's something that I, so I, and it's hard to do, right? It's hard to not use plastic, as you mentioned, Andrew. Uh, even myself, as someone who consciously tries to avoid using plastics, it, it's inevitable. Like, right. to not use it at all, I don't know. It, it's almost impossible. But what I like to do, and I do preach this stuff to friends and family as they see I'm using plastic, and you know, you try to walk that fine line of not being overly annoying and wanting them <laughs> to actually listen to you. Um, but it's one thing I like to say to people is, especially if they're drinking a plastic water bottle, is that plastic water bottle is going to be around well after you're gone. Yeah. And then I say every plastic bottle you've ever drank from is a lot is is doing something somewhere in the environment. It is not mm-hmm. it has not gone away. It yeah. exists somewhere. Yeah. And then I say every plastic bottle that everybody has ever drank in this around. country is still around. And ever. you sort of take it like you sort of like start right there with the bottle that drinking now. <laughs> Then you pull it back to every bottle that they ever drank. Then you pull it back to every bottle everybody's ever drank just in this country, you know, in the past year. And then pull it back to a decade. And like you, I think I've personally seen people say, wait, whoa, like, you know, they, they start to get it and understand the problem. And then if you tell them about how these plastics essentially break down into tinier and tidier pieces for virtually forever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. The, 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 the plastic problem, I think, is going to be the new um is going to be the the the, the ecological uh problem of the future like this this essentially cataclysmic sort of apocalyptic issue yeah. i think because it's going to it changes it's changing the way we reproduce um it's it's going to alter the environment and i think that that's sort of where we're headed like it's in our blood um yeah 
So and now they're saying that it's so small that it actually circulates in air currents around, yeah. around the world. Yeah, so, so we're breathing I've, it in. I've, my, through my work, I've seen what, how plastic, what, what happens to plastic over time. So there, there are pieces of plastic that have been out there for, again, 50 years. And you'll take like a five-gallon bucket of water, or a five-gallon bucket, I should say, and it falls apart in your hands like tissue paper. And that goes airborne. And that gets into the soil, that gets into the water. It is, it is insane. Like, like grabbing a plastic bottle, it literally falls apart in your hands, like a milk it's, crate or anything. It's lowering testosterone in men. Mm -hmm. It's lowering yeah, it's, testosterone in men and, and in increasing uh, birth issues, like, like with our, you know, human our ability to reproduce. Um, plastic the crazy is thing is we don't even know how, like the full ramifications of what this is doing for us as a species no yeah. yeah i think i don't think we will for a while yet no and now with like the pfos and stuff that's a whole different conversation but right. this is so this is what i do for a living i'm an environmental scientist i test soil and air uh and and water uh usually for like development purposes mm -hmm. for a bank or someone but yeah we 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 don't test for plastic um but we are starting to test like pfos is now considered an emerging contaminant of concern and there's right. They're, they're going in that direction where you're going to have to start testing groundwater and they realize that it's in our blood. And mm -hmm. when they tried to find somebody that did not have it in their blood in the United States, they could not do it. What they did was they found blood samples from soldiers who were in the like Korean war and they didn't have wow. it in their blood. So those are the only, it, so there's no modern nation with a population that doesn't have PFAS in their blood. Now they're attributing it to reproduction issues um lowering testosterone in men it's like this whole it, 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 it's it's screwed we, you know we're kind of we're kind of screwed all right well let's talk about the things that we are doing so <laughs> yes i yes, know sorry. there are several states probably 15 or so that have implemented a plastic bag ban and there's mm. probably another 20 that have um i guess they're in the process of implementing it or have a variation of a plastic bag ban so I know Pennsylvania hasn't done it entirely, but there are certain counties that have. That is a big step. I mean, just the elimination of a plastic bag every time you go to the grocery store is huge. And so if you take your own canvas bag or if you get the brown paper bags, that eliminates uh, an untold amount of plastic. I'm sure it's been calculated, but it's still awesome. So that's something that's been implemented policy-wise. And I think that was, like Andrew was talking about, a grassroots effort to push politicians and local officials to implement those. And then on the back end, basically where Andrew is, there are scientists currently working on creating or finding bacteria and fungi that consume plastic and break it down right. back into our Seen that. material. And even even like caterpillars. Yeah. And that that's huge. But I, I you're right, it has to be a multi-pronged approach. It has to be the creation or i guess the desire for it right um and all the way down you know, I, to the end product yeah yeah i i i'm a fan of plastic bag bands and, and straw bands um in general like just just reducing the amount of plastic but i feel like it's just um i guess just a starting point yeah so it, it's 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 an ability it's it's something that can bring greater visibility to this issue but like i said you know, rather than, you know, just relying on people all the way downstream in the mangroves and along the coastline picking up trash, you just moved slightly upstream to the consumers. 
Um, and again, you're putting a lot of the onus on those consumers. I, I, I think back to like um, the fossil fuel industry creating the concept of the carbon footprint so that they could transfer the guilt, right? And transfer the onus away from themselves who essentially manipulate and create and benefit from the systemic issue that they, or this entire system that they, that they literally um, like reap revenue from and place it on the consumer. So it's on you to lower your carbon footprint or like it's on you individually to like not use a plastic bag or not use a straw, but really you gotta keep going upstream. You gotta keep moving up there in order to solve this at its source. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think that part of it does come down to the consumer in a broad sense, because if, if the consumer still has a demand for it, like if we still exactly. want it, then they're yeah. still gonna make it. And we have to we have to decide that we don't want it. So the plastic bag ban is interesting because in some states it is a ban on the on the corporation and others it's you have to bring your own bags. So and I think California, if you don't have any bags, they'll give you brown bags at, or canvas bags at a certain cost. Mm -hmm. But the stores are not allowed to have them. So that's actually a corporate policy where it affects right. corporations instead of the consumer. Right, right. And and again, like going back to the grassroots, like you do want to build that demand uh, yeah. from consumers at large to for, for corporations to, to shift their uh, their behavior and their policies because otherwise, unless there isn't a monetary value attached to it, then chances are they're not going to want to do it. Yep. Can I ask, how do you feel overall about this movement? Do you feel optimistic or do you feel as though it's a lost cause? I don't know. It's not. I mean, like if I thought it was a lost cause, like I would never do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> He'd be the one putting the plastic so, there. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe lost cause. Uh, yeah, no, kind of like, is it inevitable that we don't change? So I guess you do. You do see that you do feel yeah. optimistic that we ultimately will move away from plastics or figure out a way to not yeah. pollute the world with them. I, I don't think, think anything is inevitable. Like I, I think back to like CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons yeah. um, mm -hmm. and the Montreal protocol back in the seventies and the eighties. Right. So for your listeners who don't know what that is, basically um, companies would, would put this chemical in all sorts of different appliances, like refrigerators, um, AC units, everything, because it would help cool um, the chemicals needed to, you know, keep your products, or keep your, your food uh, cold. Um, and eventually there was this global uh, push to um, get rid of these chemicals and all these appliances because when they were released into the atmosphere, which happened all the time, they're constantly leaking, um, it was literally making a hole in the ozone layer. I don't know if your listeners might remember the giant hole that was over Antarctica, which is still kind of there. Um, but globally, CFCs have been banned and uh, companies now use other chemicals uh, that are not nearly as harmful to the environment. I look at that. There's no, there, we don't know the future, right? We don't know, uh, nothing is set in stone. Um, we get to write it. Um, and I, again, I do this one because I think that I can build enough, help build enough pressure in order to try to change this. And here's another thing though, like I've removed 15,500 pounds of trash. That means that somewhere out there, there's an osprey or a manatee or a dolphin or sea turtle that's alive that wouldn't otherwise be. So that for me is enough. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. Bob, I want to throw a few more examples out there. I mean, 
have you have you guys heard of Silent Spring, Rachel Carson? Yeah. Yes. The Love Canal. So yeah. there's that. There's you know depositing of DDT. waste. DDT. Mm-hmm. Use right. of lead in in gasoline right. in everything. Paint. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Like all of okay, that has changed. Yeah. We asbestos learned about the dangers one, of right? it. Yeah, asbestos. Um, we learned about mm-hmm. those dangers and then we took them away. And I think we're just okay. now learning about the serious impacts of plastic. Not, I, I think there has to be more of a serious impact on humanity, which will, I think will be a transitive property of impact on the environment and then humanity for us to see it, for us to change. So in, in, in another 20 years, you're, or, you know, whatever, 30 years when we're in our 60s, there are going to be commercials like, if you or someone you know uh, breathe in plastic <laughs> oh, or have plastic in your blood, you are, <laughs> yeah. you're, uh, you, you know, in a compensation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. You'll get three bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll basically it'll basically say sue the boomers. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, if you're listening, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not generalizing the entire boomer generation. I know there are a few good ones out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Just kidding. <laughs> um all right, so Andrew, bringing it back to the mangroves. I'm curious. Um all the trash you're picking up. Uh is there I guess the the direct source is probably hard to pinpoint. Um, but do you have certain products that you see more often than others that maybe you can give advice and share to our listeners? Like, don't use plastic forks and plastic spoons. I know that's a yeah. big overall problem, but mm-hmm. what about the in the mangrove specifically? Like, what do you notice was the biggest in terms issue? of just pure numbers? The the what I see most of are plastic bottles, just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, you know, soft drink, a lot of water bottles. Um, I found a whole six pack of Sunny Delight from the 90s. And then oh, I man. opened it. And oh my God, if you've never smelled what Sunny Delight smells like after it's been in the mangroves for 20 years, it is something else. Um, Good? But uh, <laughs> no. Oh my God, God, no. <laughs> it, is, it is incredible. It is. Why did, why did you open it? You were curious. Because no, I was not curious at all. I knew it was going to be awful. But like, if I find a full water bottle, like, I have to carry all this stuff like maybe over a kilometer okay. through an obstacle course of, of mangrove roots. Like, I don't want extra liquid weight. Um, right. And okay. and that's you know that's more space and more weight in my bags that I don't need. So yeah, I'll empty that out. And like, I just know sometimes there's an occasional pee bottle out there, and it's mm. just a bad day for me. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, plastic bottles lots of plastic bags not just the um the ones you'll see at the grocery store but also like larger like industrial bags and hefty bags that you use for your kitchen stuff like that um a lot of clothes tremendous amount of clothes yes but polyester um, yes exactly so caps for example like the brim the plastic brim and also the polyester that like rim that that rings it um and same thing with like um, whatever swimsuits and boxers and panties and, and jeans and everything. But, you know, what I want your listeners to know is that literally everything that humanity creates falls in the ocean and I've picked it up. I mean, <laughs> car batteries. Um, there was a piece of a boat from Louisiana that had been floating around since 2011 that we found, um, you know, condoms. I found stuff from Haiti, from the Dominican Republic, from Cuba, from Mexico, you know, just getting swept up in the Gulf Stream. Um, you know, everything, 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 everything. Office equipment, uh, just the needles, <laughs> just Ugh. all sorts of stuff. Wow. And 
I, I want to, can you paint a picture for people who, um, I guess, aren't familiar with, with the mangroves, like the physical process of searching for plastic in, you know, quote unquote, like sort of a swamp. I don't know if that's appropriate or, uh, but there are dangers associated with that needles being one of them, but there's also wildlife. Can you explain to us sort of what you have to go through to do what you're doing? Cause it's not easy. Sure. sure. The biggest danger I face is actually the sun. So in Miami, especially in the summer, you know, with humidity, it can feel like 105, 110 degrees. And I've had heat exhaustion, you know, like a step away from heat stroke. I've had dehydration and like your body shuts down. Um, you know, at first you, I, at least for me, like I can't, I lose the ability to speak and then I start getting uncoordinated and then I can't do men like very basic mental arithmetic. Um, so like in the summer, like in June, July, August, like right around between one and three 30, I, I basically have to stop working. Otherwise I could literally die. Um, mm. but in terms of the dangers out there, so like I've stepped on a nail. Um, and I've had like all sorts of skin infections from, you know, all sorts of lacerations that, that have occurred out there. I've had a massive full body allergic reaction to, um, it's probably poison wood that I came across. Um, so picture poison ivy's like horrible cousin. That's a whole freaking tree. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's poison wood. It's terrible. Um, let's see what else. And yeah, you know, like I pulled my back and like I've gotten, um, I've messed up my ankles and, and my arms and my finger, like everything. Like I've just, like after a long day, I, I can't walk essentially. Um, but uh, in terms of wildlife, you know, honestly, um, <laughs> the worst things out there are the mosquitoes and the gnats. Um, and so they're, they're just relentless if you don't yeah. have an offshore breeze. Um, they don't stop. And there's also... Um, this thing called sand fleas, which uh, they're actually crustaceans. They're not insects, but uh, they bite and they jump um, and, you know, they suck. And luckily, so here in Florida, we only have a few. Um, I believe we have two or three poisonous spiders, the black widow, the brown recluse, and perhaps one more. And then we have a few, um, we have a few poison snakes. So, you know, you have the rattlesnake, you have codmouth, you have coral snake, and I might be missing one more. Um, and you don't see those in the mangroves very often. Um, in terms of larger animals, we do have crocodiles, um, but uh, because, so it's something many people don't know. Alligators do not go in the mangroves because they're freshwater. Um, crocodiles can swim in brackish and saltwater, but they're very skittish. Um, so like, they're very unlikely to attack you um, unless you like jump on one like an idiot. Um, but yeah, so honestly, the, the biggest dangers out there are just, you know, the sun and, wow. and just messing myself up on something. <laughs> like, right, yeah. right, right. That's kind of crazy. So I do want to talk about some of the other, uh, I guess, promotions you've done trying to bring awareness of this beyond social media. And in 2019 and 2020, you did the Miami Marathon with various amounts of trash that you pulled from the mangroves. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. you talk about that? <laughs> what gave you that idea? Because it's a little crazy. <laughs> it is. It was. It was. I mean, a marathon is already hard. Yes. Yes. Um, I know the. I know the. The guy who runs the Miami Marathon, Frankie Ruiz. He's a. 
He's a good friend of mine. He's actually my track coach. And um, what I wanted to do in 2019 was very literally take the trash out of the mangroves or, you know, out of sight, out of mind and bring it to the attention of all of Miami by walking it around the city and putting 35 pounds of it on my back. And that was awful, <laughs> awful, awful. Um, it took me nine hours and 50 minutes to do it. Oh. And yeah. And it was just brutal. Um, around mile 13, they closed down all, mind you, a marathon is 26.2 miles long. So halfway through, they closed on all the hydration stations. So I, you know, I didn't have any Gatorade or anything. Luckily, some of my friends went up with me and they would like hand me food and stuff. And it was just, everything sucked so hard. <laughs> I was in a different dimension of pain. And like, look, I've, I've done, I've hiked, right? I've carried, you know, 35 pound bags or more up and down hills and mountains all day long. Um, but the thing is that this, this bag was so unwieldy. It was huge. Mm. And it was like pulling me back. So like, you know, I couldn't get it up on my shoulders. I couldn't get comfortable and it was just awful. Um, but yeah, so I did that <laughs> and, you know, we got good coverage. Um, I wound up getting a front page story in the Miami Herald. And this is all to raise funds for a local nonprofit that uh, preserves our coastal ecosystems called the uh, Miami Waterkeeper. Okay. So we raised a lot of money for them. And then I came up next year and I was like, I don't want to do that alone ever again. So um, in 2020, we created a mangrove cart uh, composed of 135 pounds of mangrove trash um, shaped to look like a fish. And I had a team of six people and we pulled it all along the Miami Marathon again. And we would take turns every every mile. So it was much better. And uh, all to combine, I think we raised $30,500. So, you know, it was oh, great. That's awesome. That's, and what does that yeah. money go towards? Just cleanup efforts? No. So I gave it to Miami Waterkeeper and okay. they just, they um, preserve and, and bring a greater visibility to the problems in all of our coastal ecosystems. So offshore reefs, uh, seagrass beds, mangrove forests, uh, all of that. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, those are, that's, I can't imagine doing that. No, uh, don't do it. Don't ever do it. I Had you highly... done a marathon before? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. I've I've been an endurance athlete for a long time. I okay. think I've done like, I don't even know, like seven full marathons and like a couple half marathons and then all sorts of triathlons and stuff. So yeah, I'm familiar with them. Um, so so Andrew, we've talked a lot about the problem and then the, the effort you're putting in to fix the problem. Um, I think there is a way we can at least attempt to stop things at the source. And it would be by providing people, listeners, Elliot and myself even, with insight on products or or websites that you can get uh, non-plastic mm -hmm. products. Um, yeah. Do you have any recommendations for that stuff? So in terms of, I, the, the name is currently escaping me, but um, your, your listeners um, should look into bottleless shampoo, for example. So, you know, it'll come in like a bar, essentially, like, um, like a piece of soap. And, and again, it doesn't come in, in an actual bottle. So you can just kind of rub it, lather it up and use it as regular shampoo. It works just as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's an excellent product. Um, cool. I, something, something as simple as bring your own water bottle around, you know? So like I have an aluminum yeah. water bottle that I will take with me. And uh, rather than get a bottle of water, I just fill that up. That's pretty easy. Now do. my question with reusable water bottles is it is it better to get like metal 
canisters as a reusable one rather than like the hard plastics like Nalgene, for example. Right. Okay. So here we're going to get into a more complicated issue because you have all sorts of externalities built into each one. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what sucks about like putting all the onus on the consumers, right? Because you feel guilty regardless. So an aluminum water bottle, in order to be created, you have to mine aluminum, mine bauxite, put in a ton of energy to smelt it and to, to form this mold and to pour it in and then to ship it across, you know, it probably came from China and then to bring it to your local store or whatever. So there's a big carbon footprint there um, mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a plastic bottle, which is derived directly from petroleum products. And same thing, it takes energy to, to create and to ship, et cetera, et cetera. Aluminum, a benefit is that when it degrades, it doesn't matter. It'll just, it doesn't oxidize because it's aluminum, but it'll just basically, you know, turn into an inert, harmless material in the environment versus plastic, which doesn't. Um, so the the choice is the is is your listeners honestly okay. um but also i want i want also want to um uh highlight the fact that plastic in and of itself is not like a categorical evil it's not a a a terrible thing right in in and of itself when used in the right context so it's great for preserving food which itself um reduces to go back to that term i hate carbon footprints. Um, and it has a lot of useful applications. The problem is that we're using far, far too much of it. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, I know I've had this same water bottle for three years now, and I try to use the same stuff all the time, but um, it is, I know it's plastic. So I know mm -hmm. when I, whenever I throw this out or if it gets damaged, I'm not fixing it. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm just going to try to throw it in the recycling bin Yeah, if they'll even take it. And no. you don't have to you don't have to feel bad about that, to be perfectly honest. I use plastic products. Plastic is useful. Um, it's just again, you we have to change the processes that created this giant system that we're stuck in currently. That's it's how the, we solve this problem. It's the single use plastics too. So yeah. last year, uh, National Geographic ish had a great issue on plastic pollution, and they broke down some of the the biggest pieces of plastic we find in the environment, the biggest, the most harmful was actually cigarette butts. Yeah, they're uh, everywhere. But, mm -hmm. just but away. by like the, the trillions or something, like it's insane. Yeah. And then right behind that were uh, like plastic forks and spoons because people will just get the plastic fork, eat their meal and throw it in the trash mm -hmm. um, and then move on and, and multiply that by everybody and every meal that they have, whatever. And then, on, and then one of the other ones was, it was like ta the tampon. Um, applicators? applicators? I picked up quite a few yesterday, yes. Yeah, they're apparently like this, this huge problem too. So it's, yeah, it's which plastics, like what you're using for them for. Uh, my mouse, my, you know, the mouse on my computer is all plastic. And so I guess that's not as big of a deal as a plastic fork. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Pick and choose your battles until the technology changes and you have something else available. But mm -hmm. yeah. But what other companies we got distracted? Oh, yeah. Other companies. Um, let me think. Have you thought what? of bamboo products at all? Bamboo, absolutely. So things for just... like, like, like your toothbrush handle, for example, can be bamboo. Um, bamboo can can replace a lot of products that we, you know we actually create out of plastic now. We just it, bought bamboo dishes. 
for no uh, way yeah bamboo bowls um and it looks like plastic to me i can't tell the difference yeah it it feels like plastic looks like plastic but it's bamboo yeah yeah and the great thing about bamboo is it grows very very fast yeah um so it's very reproducible it's very scalable yeah Um, so i'm all for bamboo almost invasive which i mean it's a good thing and a bad thing but it can almost grow anywhere yeah yeah yeah. we have bamboo here in florida yeah yeah and one of the additionals, and actually the, the main reason I got these was because if you microwave them, when you microwave plastic, you can, you ingest that plastic, it breaks right. down and mm-hmm. it goes into your food. And so it's for my daughter, my, my kids, I didn't want to give them plastic uh, dishes that might've been microwaved or whatever. And so that's sort of led us down this road. But that's yeah, an I think, excellent point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really yeah. interesting because there was an article maybe midsummer last year about using wood to replace metal knives because wood in the right, I guess, process can be five times sharper than a steel knife. Really? Which I didn't know. Huh. Huh. Okay. Well, actually, that makes sense because in uh, the Philippines and Indonesia, historically, they had wooden swords that would seriously, like, cut off your arm. So that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, there's some really cool stuff out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the I want to talk about the the decision making process and what we think is sustainable. I don't know if you guys have watched The Good Place. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. I know what you're talking, and I know what what scene you're going to talk about. Yes. Yeah. So it's uh, it's all about. I mean, to get into The Good Place, there's a point system. And well, the, what is The Good Place? The Good Place is basically people have it's it's supposed to be heaven, and okay. there's there's four seasons of it, and it. The seasons transpired to do different things, but it all takes place in the afterlife. And um, anyway, in the fourth season, I think they talk about the point system, third or fourth season, and how the it is much harder to get enough points to get into heaven. And so they talk about how nobody has gotten into heaven in the last 500 years. <laughs> right, right. Like, why? Why is that? And they're like, well... If you think you're buying a sustainable product from this place, you're actually not because of all of these other reasons. And so they're like, there is no physical, there is no way to get the points necessary to get into heaven. So they had to rework the system. Anyway, there's a guy that followed the system almost exactly. Like he just guessed it and he didn't even get in. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He was like, I'm not going to harm that snail. I, I I can't take away that weed because that'll take away some animals fruit or food yeah exactly yeah 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 Yeah, i think about that scene quite a bit actually it's it's a great show it really is i mean it doesn't matter even if you try to do all the right things you know you buy a pair of you know sneakers maybe they were produced in a sweatshop and maybe you know definitely you know they did some harm to the environment getting shipped over to you and when you get rid of them they might do more harm to the environment so like it's it's again put, when you put all the onus on individuals rather than the system in which they're stuck in, it's a dead end. Yeah, yeah. there's no way to exist. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There's, I shouldn't say there's no not no way, but it's very hard to exist in the United States without having blood on your hands in some way, shape, or form by consuming mm-hmm. literally anything. And like the vegans and the vegetarians are good examples because sometimes they may not realize that the food that they're eating has blood on its hands too. Just because they're not eating meat directly doesn't mean that the 
the massive agricultural plot that was sure. plowed to grow their quinoa and their beans and their food. It yeah. killed every rodent, every snake, every bird, every bug. It completely destroyed that environment. And yeah, monoculture. Yeah. yeah. Or the soy, you know, that's currently that, you know, Monsanto. that's farmed in Brazil that, you know, that the only reason it was able to be turned into agricultural land was because it was actually a rainforest. There was clear cut to, yeah. to grow that soy that you're eating now. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think there, besides the, besides the, uh, things that we can buy and besides going out and actually going down to Florida, going to the mangroves and helping Andrew out, there are little things that I feel like we can do. Like Bob talked about when we go hiking, we'll pick up things here and there. And even if it's just in your neighborhood on a walk, if you see a plastic chip bag or, you know, a little fruit cup, pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, that so that's, simple. that's a, that's an excellent point because even if you don't live along the coast, um, there's, there's some water near you somewhere. There's some stream, there's some river, there's some lake. And you know, that trash that you see along the street is not going to stay there when it rains, that's going to go right into the gutter. And without being treated at all, that's going to go right into your, a local water source. So in my case, it would be the ocean. In somebody else's case, it could be a local river or whatever. Um, and that's where it starts to degrade the, the environment. So, you know, what you do, what we, we, as humans, we like to like pretend that we are completely separated out from nature. We're kind of just like walled in. Um, but no, there's no such thing as that. Like everything that we do, even in, in what looks like an artificial environment, will impact the natural environment. Mm -hmm because we're part of it <laughs> right 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 yeah. um, not separate from it andrew if there's anybody listening that might want to follow in similar footstep footsteps to you do you have any advice for that person yeah um depending <laughs> what, where you live um so uh if you do want to clean up your local environment by all means please go ahead and do it um i highly suggest though that you do your research first so for example mangroves are a very fragile ecosystem and that's why you know i don't want 50 people you know tramping in there without knowing what they're doing because they might cause more harm, harm than good um so you know if you happen to live or you want to work in a fragile ecosystem please 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 be careful and make sure you know what you're doing talk to the experts make sure you have actual like clearance to do it don't trespass because you know you getting arrested or getting a fine doesn't help anyone mm -hmm. um but that said like yeah go do it like <laughs> just just start doing it once once you once you do your own research and, and you're ready to go just yeah. have at it <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it's sad that um you can almost say to anybody anywhere in the united states that you can find an environment to do this in. Oh, <laughs> you don't yeah. need to look very far yeah <laughs> which I mean, is doesn't matter even if you live on top of a mountain like there's trash there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh we've talked about everest and stuff too like the, oh, the oh mountain yeah. in the world right yeah we had a woman on who was organizing um uh, uh, uh ways to clean up everest and so mm -hmm. it is a global issue uh it's a global issue and then it comes down all the way to everybody's backyard as well so mm -hmm. wow so yeah. even little so one of the things that i considered starting in my neighborhood which i hope i hope to actually do it. It is on a, a long list of many things I want to accomplish. But if you're familiar with Rwanda, they implemented a national trash cleanup day. And I think it's once a week or once a month. 
And so the entire country goes out and they just pick up trash for like an hour. Including the president. Including the president, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it has made the country incredibly clean. I love that Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even like I might, if you're familiar, I think it's called Neighbor or Neighborhood. It's a website that allows you to connect with local people based on their geography mm-hmm. and their neighborhood. So you can post in there and say, hey, I want to organize this. That's my plan, at least. You might have just planted a seed in my head. Awesome. Great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even um, if it's 30 minutes of you know, 50 people in your neighborhood picking up trash, that's a lot yeah. of trash picked yeah. up. I it's, think I'm going to go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, I was just going to say it's it's not only the education around pollution in general and the products, but it's also the education on how t- how how um, interconnected we are with the environment, Andrew, as you said. Mm-hmm. So when you pair those two together, I think that's where you can get really powerful with this stuff. Yeah, um, I think I might have to pitch uh, the local mayor to uh, to do a trash free day or a trash cleanup day, like regularly. I love that. Love that concept. Yeah, I think that's it's great. great. Yeah. I would love to implement that here. So if you get it, let me know how you pitched it. Sure. Yeah. And if I get it, I'll let you know. For sure. Well, well, Andrew, so we're coming to a close and we do have a rapid fire round. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we get into that rapid fire round, we want to give you the opportunity to share everything. S- share your social media, share we, where people can volunteer with you, share uh, literally like anything you want related to, to what you do in your work. Right. So if people want to follow me, the, be- the best place to see... Um, or to sign up for cleanups that I do in the future is to follow me on social media. So on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube. Well, on, on, on the previous three, just look for my name, Andrew Otazo. That's O-T-A-Z-O. And if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, it is S-F-L Nature. And so, yeah, I'll post all my stuff on there. And we're, we always link these, everything will be linked in the show notes of this podcast as well. So people can Great. just jump down there and click on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. You ready for the rapid fire round? Sure. So something that I realized is some of these questions are a little, they're, they're kind of geared towards travel a little bit. And we didn't really touch up on travel necessarily, but you know, our podcast. It's still a travel you know, podcast. Sure. It's a travel podcast. Andrew and, and travels. Sort of, conservation environmental efforts are, are vital and sort of interconnected to travel at least they are for us um so i'm going to start it off andrew what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel uh adventure uh what travel book had the biggest influence in your life travel book um the hobbit because it's one oh, big travel book ooh. it is <laughs> that's a good one that's a great one wow I did not even consider that one. Uh, all right. So from these options, what aspects of travel have the biggest impact on your experiences? The landscape, the history, the architecture, the food, or the people? The people, I would have to say. Um, nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. I love hearing that. All right. Tell us one thing travelers should not do. Um, don't be an asshole. Like, <laughs> like you're you're going to you know you're going to interact with a new culture or location. Like, be respectful. That's their home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't pollute either. Uh, yeah. And, and then, uh, lastly, so what is one piece of travel advice or one piece of advice in general that you'd give to yourself ten years ago? Ten years ago, um, I would say, go to the Alps uh, sooner rather than later. Um, 
that was an incredible experience that I just did in 2019. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. All was right. it the, the Italian Alps or the Swiss? Swiss Alps. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. It was incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Especially as a Miami boy where there's no elevation here and then climbing a mountain, climbing an <laughs> Alp. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Did you do the Matterhorn? Uh, no, not the Matterhorn. No, I did not. <laughs> it's called Mount Pilatus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, we appreciate it. It's, it's incredible stuff. It's a really important, it's stuff that Elliot and I really care about. And so thank you for your time. Thank you for your dedication to uh, these, these environmental efforts. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. There is no better time than now to do something yourself or to organize with your community. And the organization that I was talking about are the group online communities called Nextdoor. Mm-hmm. And, the, and what, what I like about this too, this spectrum of action varies greatly. Oh, you yeah. can go the lengths that Andrew is going through, or you can simply make the decision to not drink out of plastic water bottles or yeah. uh, pick up trash as you're hiking. So you don't need to be all in. Yeah, like what but Andrew's done. even if done, you're slightly in. Yeah, what Andrew's is done a is, a, is a time commitment and like a right. big effort. But And those those are big changes. But all you have to do, you don't even have to do a time commitment. Like Bob said, just do a little change something that you buy. Change the material. Right. Or don't you use can dedicate plastic. five, ten minutes a week to cleaning up your neighborhood while you're on your walk. Yeah, don't use plastic bags at the grocery store. It's very, like you can do really simple stuff. And, and I think it goes a long way. And um yeah, uh, this is really insightful, man. Like we know, we know a lot of this, right? We're pretty in tune with what's going on, I guess, you know, but hearing it from him on the ground in the mangroves doing the work, really awesome guy. I love, love. I still can't believe he did those, both those marathons. Right, right. That's crazy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you want to help support us in a non-financial way, like the best way to do that is to satisfy the almighty social media algorithm gods by like sharing the episode, commenting, liking. That's really the, the way to get us to grow because yeah, we're we on get TikTok more, now. We are on TikTok now. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Um, but you know, once you engage on a picture or post, it then gets more eyes on it, which then hopefully translates to more downloads and listens, which ultimately translates to better guests because we have that to present to them. So that's the best way um, to really help us grow. And so if you like us, if you enjoy the podcast, we would hope that you kind of want to help us grow a little bit. So that's that's the way to do it. Uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast and tune in next week.